Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the third episode of Wicked Problems, the climate tech podcast based on last week's election result in the UK, looks more likely that a lot of conservative MPs to be around this time next year. I'm Richard Delavan. This bonus episode is really a companion to our interview with Jim Mann, the CEO of carbon removal company Undo. Carbon removal will become a big business, some say the fastest growing ever, if only costs can come down for different pathways, something closer to $100 a ton, and that's something the US Department of Energy and others are trying to steer towards. But for that to happen and for private capital to get in to help make it scale in a big way, removal have to avoid some of the pitfalls that have beset the other side of carbon markets, kind of carbon offsets that companies and individuals can buy so they can say they've done something to balance out things like flights. We're a couple of years away from the 2026 World Cup, which, because it's spread across stadiums from Mexico City to 2,500 miles away in Vancouver and Canada, is expected to produce as much CO2 as Fiji for a year. But over the last year, we've seen offsets take a hammering. Lack of standards, lack of oversight, lack of proper scrutiny led to problems. Something comedian John Oliver took by the scruff of the neck in an episode of his HBO show last year. Let's have a listen. Also, there's a much bigger problem with all of these tree-based programs, which is that even if they do protect one section of trees from logging, that doesn't necessarily mean much if a logging operation simply cuts down the trees on the land next door instead. Plus, given that forest fires are now on the rise thanks to climate change, offset programs can and have literally gone up in flames. All of this is why, while companies love to make big, broad claims about the benefits of their offsets, they really don't like getting into the details. It wasn't very funny for the folks who are working in the industry, particularly those who found themselves on the wrong end of investigations by The Guardian, by other outlets that suggested that maybe John Oliver was onto something, suggesting that a lot of the projects were of questionable quality. And that was before half of Southern Europe and Canada seemed to go up in smoke this summer from the kind of wildfires John Oliver warned about. But because the UK is home to a lot of innovators in climate tech and in fintech, investment is coming into the sector at a clip to try and fix some of those problems in the voluntary carbon markets. 
UK companies worth nearly £1.4 billion and employing 1,300 people. Some of those companies, like Undo, are taking carbon out of the air. Others are creating the tech to better monitor, report, and verify carbon removals or avoided emissions. Ratings agencies, market platforms, and all the other kinds of financial infrastructure you'd hope might come out of the City of London as the, one of the world's leading financial centers. So today, the City of London and the Startup Coalition, which lobbies to promote the startups and scale-ups in the tech sector, along with companies including Undo, BZero, Baitable, and others, are getting together to say how current and future government policy interacts with the technologies they're creating. So are carbon markets a necessary way for us to be able to get to net zero, or are they just hot air? We spoke just after the party conferences with two of the people who helped put together this carbon markets innovation forum that launched today. And of course, we're back with my rock star sustainability geek co-host, Claire Brady. Claire, welcome back. Thanks. Great to be back. It's almost like you never left. This conversation that we have teed up, uh, I think, is really interesting, Claire. And we've got Charlie Mercer, who's one of the leaders in the space of advocating for climate tech at the Startup Coalition, and as well as that, the CEO of Abatable, which is kind of a, a brokerage intelligence platform helping to match up corporates with projects uh, that are involving carbon credits, uh, both in nature-based and other types of solutions. And we get their views about how that's changing. Um, any views on kind of carbon markets in general? It's been a pretty difficult time for the last year, uh, as a lot of these projects have come under increasing scrutiny. What's your take? Oh, that's a good one. It's a good moral dilemma to get into carbon markets or not to carbon markets. If we can find a way that we can better understand, is a project really drawing down carbon? Is it really additional? Is it really something new that wouldn't happen otherwise? And we can actually genuinely get money into that and measure it and monitor it and have the data that we need so that we can understand um, the impact of that work, then that's got to be a good thing. Now, if a company uh, is doing that only, if that's their only strategy, then that's the wrong corporate strategy because absolutely their strategy has to have both prongs that reduce at source. Like how do they actually get as close to zero as possible? But if they're in a financial position to also offset whilst they're looking at how they implement solutions internally to reduce down, then wouldn't we want that? The challenge at the moment is resources are limited and where are they going to put that money You know. And in an ideal world, wouldn't we have a playing, uh, a level playing field so that we actually almost mandate a certain amount of investment that has to, some of it go internally to reduce down and some of it go to sort of those nature-based or other solutions to, to draw down carbon. So yeah, not a, not a simple answer, but, but it's good to see things like this happening. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, our interview with Charlie Mercer and Valerio from Available. September 2023 was so abnormally hot that one climate scientist called it gobsmackingly bananas. And here in the UK, both main political parties have just finished their conferences that came on the heels of government seemingly prepared to gut its net zero commitments. While there are whispers that the UK is about to see a climate tech brain drain as founders seek better env environments in the US and Europe. And here we are just six weeks away from COP28 kicking off in Dubai. So this is a good moment, I think, to take a breath and see... What is the state of play in climate tech here in the UK? It's been a good year in particular for climate fintech, uh, where the UK was the leading destination for investment. Climate fintech covering everything from people looking at evaluations for the insurance market to the voluntary carbon markets. We have two great guests to help us sort through all of that today. 
So with us is Valerio Maulio, the CEO of Carpenter Procurement and Intelligence Platform, Abatable, and Charlie Mercer, the Deputy Policy Director at the Startup Coalition, which lobbies on behalf of the sector, amongst others. Charlie, let's start with you. What did we learn following the conference season? Uh, thank you for having me, Richard. I think we've learned that innovation technology will be at the heart of both parties' agendas going into next year's election, but that climate change will maybe have a different flavor. I think that's uh, probably a very diplomatic way of saying it. I think we've also learned that Labour are feeling more optimistic than the Conservatives about next year, if, if ever we needed that to be reaffirmed. Rishi's announcements, you know, we've had countless conversations with innovators, investors in the space over the last uh, two weeks. Rishi's announcement was a political announcement. It wasn't a policy announcement. And actually, consequently, uh, while mood music sets the tone for investment, it cannot be understated how significant it is, and indeed the consequences for uh, regulation, policy, roadmaps, for the work in the civil service, outside of a, a selection of technologies that absolutely were well publicized, publicized in the press um, and were impacted and pushed back by a few years. In terms of the policy detail from the Labour Party, we have little more, but that's understandable because we are 12 months away from an election. There was some announcement around a national uh, wealth fund that, that Rachel Reeves is looking into. Um, and I think that's more towards infrastructure and investment across the board, where rather than specifically looking into uh, to climate innovation, but it will certainly feature. And, uh, and also Peter Carl in, in the first speech as a shadow digital secretary, the first ever shadow digital secretary to speak at Labour Conference. Uh, he spoke about extending R&D timelines to 10 years for UKRI funding. Um, which I think will, maybe that's a little bit of a teaser for the fact that it's going to be a big part of Keir Starmer's agenda and that will feed into how they support with investment priorities as well. So to come to you next, Valerio, what were you looking for and did you, did you hear it? First of all, thank you so much for having me as well. Um, great to be here with Charlie as well. But um, I think as a founder, obviously I look at these sort of things with a different lens, right? Which is if I put together a five to 10 year business plan, how credible that is and will it be supported or will it be brought down by regulation, right? And so those are some of the um, sort of external risks and factors that I need to take into account. And, you know, none of what was discussed last week and in the, the prior week uh, have any meaningful impact on, on my business, on my industry in the next 12 to 24 months. Let's just be very clear, right? So for me, it's really building capacity and understanding what the future outlook uh, is for our particular space and climate more broadly. I think when you're looking at the state of play within the voluntary corporate markets, which is effectively uh, looking at organizations that are voluntarily setting net zero targets uh, for their climate strategy and sustainability strategies um, and using carbon credit as a way to get there partially. The state of play is that is the market that has seen an incredible amount of growth in a very short period of time. Uh, we're talking really like three, three, four X uh, just since the cup in Glasgow. And, um, and so it was a market that was unprepared for that level of growth. It was a market that was unprepared for that level of scrutiny. And so right now what we have is quite rightly so a lot of eyes on it, questioning some of the fundamentals of the market, whether the sort of infrastructure is ready uh, to cope with that many organizations coming to market. And so what I'm really looking for in this type of activities that we do and, and the type of conversations that we have uh, with governments uh, across the world, not just in the UK, is to what extent does the government believe in the carbon market as an efficient solution 
to uh, help us deliver on the Paris Agreement and so on our, on our net zero world uh, pretty soon. Uh, and what solutions and what incentives can they put in place uh, for that market to thrive? And you know, research has shown that um, the voluntary carbon market can help half the cost of reaching the Paris Agreement. That is massive. That is something that any government should really you know, be paying attention to and, and investing actively into. So one of the, the, the challenges that we have is by 2030 to stay on a 1.5 degree track, we have to reduce emissions by 45% between now and, and the end of the decade. As you say, we've experienced a lot of growth in the voluntary carbon market, but uh, the scrutiny that it's been subject to the Guardian in particular has involved several investigations. Um, does that actually create an opportunity for companies like yours that are actually trying to create better standards that get them the kind of credibility that they need? You know, it's, it, without uh, wanting to take advantage of sort of this negative solution, situation, certainly has created an opportunity for a new wave of solution providers, of uh, infrastructure providers who can better represent the, uh, the, 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 the type of integrity and transparency um, that the market is expecting and is demanding for something like this, right? So I think there, that there is an opportunity there. I would say all the recent scrutiny has highlighted some fundamental challenges with how carbon projects have been allowed to, uh, to issue carbon credits uh, and be retired. Uh, and we are not the, we're not ones to shy away from those criticisms. And we've been publishing our own research as well about it. And we advise and educate our customers as well about how to spot some of these uh, situations before it hits their, um, their own portfolios and their own sustainability reports, right? Or before they get splattered all over the Guardian. Um, but in reality, there is a fundamental need to scale these solutions, to invest in these solutions. Um, and it's driven by two, I say, two main uh, challenges we face when reaching, uh, as you said, keeping it below 1.5 degrees by 2030, 2035. Number one, uh, there is a number of activities, particularly industrial activities and manufacturing activities for which the abatement cost is too high today, right? There are certain things that we just have no idea how we were going to bring down uh, the, the, the emissions uh, from those activities at a reasonable cost. We're talking sub 1,000 1, uh, pounds per ton, uh, roughly, right? Um, so that's number one. So there's some activities that we just simply cannot decarbonize as fast as we need to. Number two, there's the sort of this cost of time uh, when, when we're talking about carbon, right? The longer we wait to take action, the longer we wait to decarbonize and reduce emissions uh, and compensate for some of the emissions that we have at the moment, the harder it will be to get there. Uh, and that's because of the compounding ethics uh, of, of CO2 in the atmosphere. And though those two really create this like magic opportunity right now to take advantage of quite a, an interesting, let's call it almost financial instrument, but not necessarily financial instrument, but an instrument, a tool that can finally put a price on a liability like carbon, which historically we've not been able to value. And we can talk for hours about whether the, the current price is correct and, and you know, any adjustments and market adjustments that need to happen. But fundamentally, that's at the core of it is we're pricing a liability we've never been able to price before. We should take advantage of that. And that's what we're here to do. Right. Charlie, California just passed its intention to require companies that do business in California above a certain revenue to report their scope one and scope two emissions. And there's still talk of the SEC in America doing something similar. So will we see, do you think, a new wave of regulation kind of driving this measurement thus leading to this expansion of the necessity for carbon markets. 
going forward? And, and should we be advocating for that regulation to happen faster? What's your view? Yeah, so so I I, I think I think you're right, and we are we're certainly seeing in the, in the UK we have you know world leading regulator in the FCA that is really thinking about the stuff meaningfully. Um, I also think that it's necessary because you know, the way that we as an organisation conceive of the carbon markets is the end to end demand and supply of a carbon credit, and ultimately people being able to quantify what their demand should be before they even you know work out what proportion of their emissions they wish to offset, re- reduce, etc. That's the first step. And actually, what, one of the most efficient ways to make people do that is to tell them that they have to because it's the law, right? And actually, we would like to see creative ways for, for governments to support, point people in the right direction, and potentially even subsidize access to software that enables quantification of emissions as part of that journey. Because you know, at the moment, if, if regulation were to be expanded to a, a bunch of these firms, they wouldn't have the faintest idea as to, to as to how to go about doing that, right? So we, we would prefer that alongside regulation, which we think is, is very important and is necessary and indeed inevitable, you do see this this a tandem role for government in enabling and empowering businesses to to, to quantify their emissions. I think just to, to maybe pick up as well on off the back of what Valeria was saying in terms of the challenge that we have here and to tie in as to why the Startup Coalition is, is thinking about this, and that's because there is a constant challenge that we exist to hopefully solve and that is that startups, innovators, and many times investors do not have the time, resources uh, to engage in policy discussions, right? And what we have with the carbon markets is a, uh, a, a sector that is necessarily becoming more of a, uh, an issue and a priority for governments. And that's where we as an as, you know, organization, as a cross-sector organization, we, we are constantly trying to ensure the policy, that the policymakers are engaged with startups. But where there is you know, interest, increasing interest in a specific sector, there's an imperative for us as an organization to facilitate those conversations. So you know, ensuring that with carbon markets, regulation, whatever that might be, and I'll probably come and move on to talk about that, startups and innovators are at the table and not on the menu because um, the minute the government switches their attention to you know, any form of new regulation, you can guarantee that the biggest firms, the incumbents, with the most resource, the teams of people uh, devoted to advocacy will be already in the door, right? So that's our role as, as a you know a lobbying uh, group, but also as a de facto almost trade body for some of these disparate sectors is to ensure that we can facilitate that conversation. Uh, and that's what we're looking to do more over the next few months. And Valeria, we're going through this period of extreme growth and change. So in addition to like regulation, what are some of the other things that you're seeing across the different projects that you look at and the queries that you're getting from corporates um, about what they're looking to do in this market? What's changing? What can we expect to see happening over the next couple of years in, in the space? I think, to be honest, quite a lot of clarity around uh, how corporates should be really looking to invest in this market. Um, I think the 2023 has been a particularly uh, tough year in that sense where Many different industry body, independent organizations, and in some cases, even for profits incumbents have defined in their own individual way how what a corporate can do with carbon credits and what they can claim with carbon credits and the type of projects that should be investing, who defines quality. There's now like so many different initiatives around that. And I think that is uh, hindering the market. I've been recently in New York at a conference with a lot of other intermediaries as well and incumbents and, and startups alike. And the sentiment was, we, we've got to get together and we got to find sort of something more coordinated. Otherwise, we're not going to get more corporates to come into the market and help us scale it with it. 
the capacity for the supply, so for the projects to start, expand and grow is there. And we see a lot of excitement from investors to invest in those projects uh, and help them get started before they're able to issue carbon credits for sales. Uh, and we do a lot of work on that front. We can see what's coming online in the next five to 10 years. And it's really exciting. However, those project developers and these projects will need to be able to sell credits in order to sustain their activities over time, right? And that's where corporates come in and, and using their net zero strategy as a way to purchase these credits and provide that revenue uh, financing. We've got to find a way to bring the more corporates uh, to the table, give them incentives to do so. Right now, we're relying on a purely voluntary commitment to say, I'll get to net zero by 2030 or 2040. I'll use a proportion of, uh, of carbon credits to get there. And so better guidelines. I think it may not be necessary regulation, although that would help greatly, I would, I would say, uh, but some form of government support and public support uh, for the voluntary carbon market as a mechanism to get to net zero, I think will go a long way. And so I think that would be the biggest thing that we're hoping for, we're pushing for, and we're trying to advocate for. The question I had as well for you, Valeria, was about other things that are changing on the in different types of projects. I mean, we, we've heard a lot over the last 12 months in particular about engineered removals and the types of role that the dynamics being are going to change of as some of these are, are coming and also try to compete for demand. Uh, something we hear often from people in the space is that, you know, the demand side isn't quite there yet, even as supply, you know, scales up. Whereas, you know, we've seen a decline in the kind of energy-based sources for credits in the voluntary market and nature-based solutions being predominantly what's there. But now we have this new player that might be entering in. How does that affect the way the market might develop? Yeah, I would say maybe quick summary of how to look at the market. And in a very simplified framework, you can divide things very grossly between nature-based solutions and technology-based solutions. Um, and each of those can either avoid emissions or reduce emissions, uh, or they can actually remove carbon from the atmosphere proactively. Um, so there's a mix of both. And so when you're talking about carbon removal, that sort of could be a nature base. It could be planting a new forest. It's an afforestation project. Or it could be a, a very exciting new biochar project or a new technology. Um, there comes a point in our net zero journey where we have to start shifting towards more and more removal. Uh, that's going to be inevitable because we're going to have to take the water out of the bathtub. Yeah, so just to borrow the, the Bill Gates uh, analogy in, there, in his book. Um, and so if you look at the market today of supply and what's out there, removals as a whole constitute less than 5% of the entire market. And when you're looking specifically at technology removals, that's an even smaller portion of the market. And so I think the argument of it, they're competing for demand, it, I don't think it's really there. I think it's more of a perception because what we are seeing is a lot of very vocal organizations um, that are deciding to contribute quite large sums of money to fund a lot of novel technologies to get out of the R&D stage and into commercialization and then scale up. Uh, and th those things are very visible and it almost seems like um, that's, that's what's dominating the market. But in reality, it's still quite a niche market. And there's an argument to be there, there made to be, to be made there that while these solutions are still in R&D phase and still early stages, that the carbon market may not necessarily be the right uh, funding mechanism, right? And it should be government grants, it should be tax-based like we're seeing with the IRA. And so these are some of the things that we are, are advocating. Um, so I would say there is a much, much stronger focus, regardless of the type of solution, 
on how do we get the most accurate information and estimation around what these projects are doing and the impact they're having. So this is what a lot of people call MRV, which is just a fancy word for saying, how do we measure how much CO2 has gone in and out of the project, right? Um, and so there's loads of companies, there's loads of innovation happening with geospatial information, with sampling, and a, a lot of other things that can really help us get uh, more scientific, first of all, about the, the impact, um, and verify it in a more accurate way, on an ongoing way, and monitor it on an ongoing way, which is going to be incredibly important going forward. Um, so the one thing, the one challenge that we see, though, is that the standards who are the ones writing the methodologies for carbon credits and sort of dictating the rules of how a project can issue carbon credits are too slow organizations to actually pick up on a lot of these novel technologies and spot opportunities for, okay, that's an interesting sampling solution. Maybe we should integrate into how we verify projects. And so what you're seeing at the moment is quite a distributed, lots of different efforts to create mini registries or mini standards for each specific project type or solution. And what we love to see is that a lot more coordinated efforts across the market, a lot more resources and support for the established standards and bodies, which regardless of what the Guardian is saying, we do trust and have been doing great work historically for the market and have gotten the market to where it is today to get up to speed with new advancements in technology and new solutions and and respond to the cries for integ higher integrity, a higher quality in the market, which we're all pushing for. In terms of the policy environment, in terms of how standards should be set, in terms of what government should be doing, what's your pitch? So our, our pitch is uh, twofold. Uh, one is creating the environment and the incentives for companies to actively participate in the carbon markets. Um, by really endorsing the role of the voluntary carbon market for net zero um, and providing a clear framework for what companies can do and should be rewarded to do when uh, contributing to some of these external uh, mitigation activities rather than within their value chain. Um, one clear way uh, that could happen is uh, introducing some form of carbon pricing. So this is what Singapore is doing. Uh, Singapore is actually becoming very quickly the global hub for the voluntary carbon markets, both in terms of organizations that are leaning into it. Uh, government uh, initiatives uh, are very, very clear. And one of those is really around carbon pricing. Um, so that is effectively a mechanism that allows us to understand how much money that would be available to invest in mitigation activities. And the UK has a very well-functioning compliance market. It's a sort of emission trading scheme, right? And we're seeing a growing trend of a lot of emission trading schemes globally. They're starting to allow voluntary credits and this type of mitigation uh, financing uh, into the compliance market. And that is that impetus that could really help scale the market to where it needs to go. Um, so those are some of the things that we are actively suggesting. Okay. And Charlie, from the point of view of the Startup Coalition, what are some of the other things that you're working on at the moment to help try to nudge the, the framework in the, that direction? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, one of the first things that we do is we we like to shout loudly about the opportunity of these sectors, right? Because fundamentally, this isn't something uh, that isn't already happening right now. And there is, um, you know, we've got some data coming out on broader climate tech trends and data uh, later on this year that has kind of the carbon market valued at about, um, this is just UK-based carbon market startups valued at about 1.5 billion. They've raised 650 million over the last 13 years. Um, they employ 1,300 people. And this is, this is before they've, they've added value to the economy, right? This is just BC 
uh, funds going into them and the associated valuations. Now, beyond that, I think the 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 second piece, uh, once we have uh, celebrated and advertised the value of uh, of any given sector, is grounding what we're going to then do in the realities of how policymakers are currently thinking about that area. And to be frank, the carbon markets do not feature in political discourse to the degree they should do. And it's true that you know Valeria has been um, you know t- talking about why it's important they 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 should do, but right now they they don't. And part of that is um, because it's part of a whole suite of things that needs to happen and be transformed across the economy to decarbonize and meet our 2050 net zero targets. Um, but it's also because it's quite, it's a little bit complicated. And Larry mentioned some of the, the coverage that, that was in the press earlier this year. But the reality is, is that um, if we don't have a functioning carbon market, more carbon will stay in the air. And it's quite as you know, simple as that. But then um, there's a level deeper that we will then be working with policymakers over the next six months on ahead of the election to upskill them to understand, right, what's the difference between the voluntary market and the emissions trading scheme, which is uh, you know seemingly very different, but actually inter- intersects with it. And we do have a carbon price for very specific emissions that are covered by the UK emissions trading scheme. How could that start to interact with the voluntary carbon market? So specific policies, that's the sort of thing we want to talk about, right? Is once we've done the upskilling, how do these two markets interact? Is it necessary? Is it appropriate? And if so, um, what infrastructure needs to be built to to do that? There's even more detailed stuff around, I mentioned earlier about incentivizing businesses to quantify their emissions as the first step in entering the carbon market. There, there might be opportunities for specific software to be adopted or, or signposted by, by government in the same way they do with, with other you know, things where they're helping small businesses to, to digitalize on, online. But then there's other, even more niche areas, right? So we have codes for quantifying carbon emissions in Woodland in the UK. We don't have that for hedgerows. So you know, if you're looking to be a nature-based startup and you want to offer a marketplace or indeed you want to actually do the removal yourselves, having that government guide and guidance in the Woodland, hedge, uh, the Woodland um, Carbon Code is, I believe, quite well regarded and, and very effective. Um, expanding it out to other forms of, of, of removal, um, we, we think is, is aspirational um, and maybe the, the, the way to start. Um, but alongside all of that, and as you know, as an organization, we, we have our own independent views on, on where government should be spending its time. Our core function is to ensure that we bring startups to the table, right? And we're going to be launching, uh, I believe when this comes out, it will, will have launched, but the Carbon Markets Innovation Forum, of which uh, Valerio and Abase will be a founding member of our steering committee, which is going to feature 12 organizations, uh, probably 12 plus, actually. We're going to add in a few more of the leading carbon market startups across the world. So it's not just UK-based startups, but we're bringing together a bunch of the household names who we'll be talking about over the next few weeks uh, to come together and help strategically guide this Carbon Markets Innovation Forum, which, which the core function of which will be to act as a convening um, forum for any startup around the world engaged in carbon markets as regulators start to turn their attention towards them and specifically, again, in the spirit of where our expertise lies, as the UK government starts to pivot towards carbon markets, we want to ensure that we facilitate that conversation through the Carbon Markets Innovation Forum, um, starting with the voluntary carbon markets consultation that we believe is coming over the next few months. Uh, And in practice, what that looks like is that we will be, as the Startup Coalition, uh, aggregating views from across as many carbon market startups as wish to engage in this effort with support from the Strategic Steering Committee that that Larry is going to be part of, and then submitting that through to government. So each of these individual firms and we've had firms as why, you know, from the US, from Japan, from Turkey, reach out to us uh, to engage in this work. Um, we want them, and obviously a whole bunch in the UK, we want them to engage in this government consultation 
and they wouldn't even have known it existed, right? And that's one of our core functions is just a flag, right? You have a civil servant spending their time on this. It would be foolish for us to not all be in the, you know, in the room or in the virtual room through our uh, conversation response and feeding into that work. Okay. Well, so, so Charlie, you mentioned this carbon markets initiative uh, that Startup Coalition is uh, helping to lead and involving Valerio and Abatable on the steering committee. Where can listeners get more information about that? And when will it be out? So there will be a side which will be advertising through our social pipes um, and through uh, our own website as well. That will be a gateway to understand why we're looking to do it. Um, for any um, innovators and founders listening to this podcast, it is an open call to engage, right? So we have uh, the strategic working group that will be um, you know, the steering committee, which will be invite only because we need to have um, limits around that and, and, and um, to ensure that's as effective as possible. But the broader Carbon Marks Innovation Forum, which will be uh, meeting when we have the consultation for government, which will land at some point later this year, uh, will be open to any startup that is active in the carbon market space, wherever you are in the world. Fabulous. Before we, we let you go, as we're coming up to time, and you've been very generous with your time, to give us a couple of what we call catalysts. So things you've read, listened to, watched that changed your views on climate tech. So Valerio, any any suggestions for our dear listeners? I think there's been um, one specific book that I've re- read quite recently. It's called The Case for Nature. It's by uh, Siddhar Srikant, which is happens to be a, a friend of ours, um, very active investor in the nature-based solution space and has put forward an incredibly clear and compelling case and framework for investing in nature and valuing nature as much as we value any other type of assets. A lot of what we try to do at Abatable is trying to go beyond just carbon and explaining what uh, other benefits are there of investing in some of these projects from a biodiversity conservation restoration perspective, from a, a livelihood improvement perspective. And so I think his book is uh, particularly timely into that conversation, particularly as we're seeing a lot of interest in, in biodiversity and the market is going to open up to um, the biodiversity topic a lot more. Okay. Charlie, any suggestions of the catalyst from your end? Well, I promise, I promise this was an original thought, but last week I saw that Christian may have flagged this as well, but The Uninhabitable Earth by David um, Wallace-Wells is the single most impactful book I've ever um, read on this stuff and is told very well and obviously Christian talked about it. Um, I think one interesting aspect of that book, though, that I think is, in, you know, is very relevant is he talks about how we don't really tell climate stories very well, partly because like the fall of Rome, it's happening so slowly that it's just our lives, right? And it's very hard to tell you know, sexy Hollywood movie blockbuster films about climate, the climate crisis. Um, I say I would actually take that a little further and say we don't really talk about climate opportunity and the, the climate innovations as well as we should do. And this is why this podcast, uh, obviously, I should say with the Wicked Problems podcast, right, is uh, is going to be my home of uh, finding out about this stuff for you going forward. Um, but we do need to tell stories much better. And from a policy perspective. I mentioned that the gateway for anyone interacting with the sector should be about the opportunity and the success we're seeing already. And we should be doing a lot more of that. Um, the final thing I'm going to say is, is CTBC, which is a um, which is run by um, friend of Michael Kobe. He he has founded this this newsletter, which is absolutely market leading in capturing the amount of activity that's happening in this space. Tendency based on the US because obviously bigger market, um, but they do every, you know they do fantastic briefings. Maybe a UK version of CTBC is what this is a call a call for because um, I'd love to see more of the UK success stories talked about. Well, we're doing our best. Watch this space. Who does? We might be growing from there. I guess as the host, I'll add my own little suggestion because it's out today. Uh, is Akshat Rati's Climate Capitalism, 
uh, available in all good bookshops. So I've actually had a chance to read it as I get a preview copy, but um, it, it's absolutely fantastic. It covers a lot of the ground, some of which we've talked about today. Um, I, should, I should warn you, actually, it has a particular point of view on the voluntary carbon markets. So where can people find more information about yourself or Baitable? Valerio, you first, on your socials or on the, uh, the, web, the old website? You can go on the old website, abatable.com, um, and you can follow us on LinkedIn. We reg regularly publish uh, research and free reports. Uh, so for anyone who's interested in learning about how the market is developing, yeah, free to, to join. Great. And Charlie? Yep. So startupcoalition.io um, is where you can find us, obviously through the social pipes as well. Um, again, open call for any innovators out there, investors as well. Uh, we design our work to be uh, Breeze point of access. So if you have time and inclination to engage in any of our work across all sectors, uh, give us a shout, but obviously uh, specifically with the carbon markets work over the next few months. Well, listen, thank you so, both so much for your time. Uh, great chats and uh, look forward to hopefully talking to each of you again soon. Thanks for joining us. Deepa, thanks, Richard. Thanks for having us. Claire, that was, I think, a really fantastic conversation with Charlie and Valerio. And I think that there's so much to be talking about with carbon markets. I think that Valerio in particular has this view about how standards, about how things are, the improvements of accountability are going to hopefully address some of the issues that we've seen in those markets over the last year, because it does seem like we're going to be having to have them be a feature of our lives in terms of being able to complete the decarbonization equation between now and 2050. What was your takeaway from it? Actually, I found it really reassuring to sort of hear the approach they're taking and that vision that they have and their recognition that it's actually in the quality of that verification process and being able to do that on behalf of those corporates. And that's part, really the reason we've had that pushback has been because that hasn't been there. And I thought it was really interesting. You said just the, the pace and scale at which the sector suddenly had to like mobilize meant that we hadn't really got all of that in place. And so... You know, I think it's a really good sign that that's coming. Obviously, it would have been great if it had been there from the start. But yeah, it's good signs. Well, I suppose, yeah, the, the best time to have done it would have been 10 years ago. The yes. second best time to do it was, is now. That's well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you again, Claire, for joining us. Terrific to have you on board and really looking forward. I think that one of the things we can tell our listeners that they can look forward to is conversations that will be about various different sectors. We've gone really heavy on this kind of carbon markets and carbon removal this week, but I think that in, in coming weeks, we'll be talking about food tech. We'll be talking about uh, nature-based solutions. We'll be talking about some things in the built environment, and we'll definitely, hopefully, be talking to some other folks who are looking at things like the climate risk in insurance, which is something we don't talk about enough. And indeed, we're also looking forward to perhaps the first edition of our club, where we'll be having our discussion around Akshat Rati's terrific climate capitalism, which was just out this month. So listeners, if you haven't had a chance to read that, do pick up a copy, do listen to the audiobook. Uh, Akshat's a great talker and a great storyteller, and I think you'll learn a lot. So hopefully in, in the coming weeks, we'll schedule an opportunity for people to field their questions, and Claire and I can uh, discuss them on air, and hopefully maybe even in our future episode, Akshat, join us. So with that, we'll leave it there. Claire, thanks, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, Richard. As always, people can find you on LinkedIn. It's the best yeah. place. We'll put yeah. that link in the show notes. And of course, also please do subscribe to our newsletter on Substack, wickedproblems.substack.com. Also in the show notes. Have a fantastic week.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.